Hello, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com. Thank you for being with me today, and I'm grateful for this opportunity to study the Bible with you. It's episode number 140. It's the second part in a mini-series called The Pavior of God, and if you listened last week, then you know that's not a typo. It's not the Savior, it's the Pavior, because we're talking about John the Baptist, the man who paved the way for Jesus Christ and for his ministry. And so we have been talking about the ministry of John. We looked first at his background from birth to his manifestation as this crazy man in the desert. I shouldn't say crazy. Wild man would be more accurate. The wild man of the desert. We considered his lineage, his parents, and also his preparation for the Christ. Today we're going to continue in that discussion on the preparation of Jesus and his ministry, but we're also going to consider John's perspective on his role in God's plan and how Jesus viewed John and John's role in the kingdom. So it's a wonderful study. You don't want to miss it. And it is a supersized episode. They're a little bit longer than they normally are. So whenever you are maybe out driving or doing the dishes or out for a jog and you're listening to these episodes, you might usually time them out at about the half hour mark. But these are supersized. So take a little bit of extra time as you're out for that walk. Or if you're driving, slow down a little bit and enjoy the study. It's the final one in our mini series. So let's jump back into the conversation, shall we? We're baptized for the remission of our sins. Jesus was baptized to remain sinless. Right. Love it. Isaac, I think you've done a masterful job of explaining it. I had Matthew chapter 21 uh, thumbed in my Bible to, to bring up. I'm so glad to hear that you did because, man, he is calling them out. Mm-hmm. And those Pharisees, they were so blind because they, they had to hold on to their power one way or another. They'd been called out by John, and now they're getting called out by Jesus. And it, it does show the power of, of John's baptism, that it was heaven-authorized, or it was, mm-hmm. it was divine in its, its origin. So Jesus had to. And what a, a wonderful, I guess, application for us is that if Jesus would be baptized to obey God's will— then surely we would want to be baptized to obey God's will, even if we didn't understand everything about it or if we had been raised in such a way where baptism was kind of seen in a negative light. Hopefully, you know, there's listeners who are hearing this that are are rethinking that because Jesus, who did not sin, he had to be baptized in order to remain sinless. What a Mm -hmm. great thought. I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. I'm going to ask you, question I don't have in the notes. And um, so I'm curious uh, if you could explain the difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism, or maybe like compare and contrast them, because I'm thinking about in, I think it's Acts chapter 18 and 19, 19. yeah, where you have people who encounter uh, Paul, and they've been baptized um, in the baptism of John the Baptist, and instead of him accepting them, he preaches the gospel, and then they're baptized again into the baptism of Jesus Christ. And uh, so, yeah, I think it might be a, a healthy time before we move to the next point to 
maybe meditate on that for a bit. Do you have any thoughts on comparing these two baptisms? Yeah. So I was just studying this with some young men in our congregation earlier this week or last week, I think. So this is perfect timing. Well, the difference between John's baptism and Jesus's baptism, baptism, it's, there's a couple different, couple different, uh, differences with John's baptism. First off, it was only for the Jews. Mm-hmm. It was only for the Jews, Christian baptisms for everyone. Now right. on top of that, part of what the Jews had to do is they had to confess their sins and our baptism today, we confess our faith in Christ. Right. Here's like a, that. here's a question that, uh, should spark us. They'll kind of connect the two baptisms and get some similarities is how could John's baptism be for the remission of sins before Jesus's baptism, before Christian baptism, before Christ died on the cross. And the way that we can harmonize these two concepts is that John's baptism was a lot like all of the Old Testament sacrifices in that they were dependent on Jesus's sacrifice mm-hmm. on the cross. Mm-hmm. So that's how we see Christ's sacrifice covered all the sins from the cross backward to the Old Testament and forward. But to, to really answer your question about uh, the dilemma in Acts chapter 18 and 19, well, in Acts 18, there's a man that we're introduced to. His name is Apollos. The Bible says he was mighty in the scriptures, so he knew his Bible. But there was one problem. He was teaching John's baptism after Jesus died on the cross. It wasn't that John's baptism was unscriptural. It was just expired. So what I mean by that is that when Jesus died on the cross, John, who is preaching under the Old Testament, his teaching goes away. And then paves the way for Christian baptism for the New Testament as we talk about it. It talks about this in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses 15 through 17, the death of a testator, but that's just side stuff. Right. In Acts chapter 19, we have 10 individuals. I believe it's 10 individuals. They, they're rebaptized. And the reason why they're rebaptized is because after the death of Jesus on the cross, they're baptized into John's baptism. And this is a perfect application for listeners out there. There is a, there is the concept being taught that uh, to be rebaptized, that is scriptural. If you are baptized in the wrong way, it wasn't that these people under John's baptism did something, a false doctrine, anything like that. It was just that it was expired. Right. Their teaching was from God. So could you imagine if someone if someone was baptized today for the wrong reason, how much more so would we need to be rebaptized? That's a good point. Good point. Let me let me add just a couple more thoughts. John's baptism was to bring Jews back to the old covenant, mm-hmm. right? So it was a remission of sins, but it wasn't a new covenant. He was like the prophets of old calling people back to God's law. And a lot of his preaching uh, is based on some of that covenant principles of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Whereas Jesus' baptism is looking for, or it, it's bringing in a new covenant. So yeah, there's there's two different covenants on the line with their baptisms. And uh, John's baptism, 
think it's, uh, I have it written down in Matthew 3, verse 1. Even in his baptism, it's looking forward to Jesus, whereas our baptism is looking back on Jesus, like in Romans chapter 6. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at his death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, anyway, there's, there's, there's other things that we could bring up as well. But thank you for kind of going off the cuff with me on it, because I think people will appreciate that this wasn't some casual, casually mentioned concept, but it actually impacted thousands and thousands, maybe even tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of lives during those, you know, 10-ish years. I don't know how many years before Jesus' ministry started. And then also, you know, it, it prepared the way all the way into the future of when the apostles were working in Paul in Acts 18 and Aquila and Priscilla in 18 and Paul in Acts 19. So man, the, the ripple effect of John's ministry is just, it's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, it's sad to say, we really don't, we don't spend enough time talking about John the Baptist. We don't. And I think that's something that I've just tried to focus on because especially wanting to be an evangelist, how could I or anybody help point you to the right direction of the Messiah without understanding the guy's role who prepared the way for the Messiah. Right. So it's, they're right. both very connected. They're relatives. Okay. Well, we have considered John as a person and we spent a little bit of time looking at his background and specifically kind of like the, the role that his parents had and then his upbringing had and getting him ready for his ministry. And then we've also talked about how he's, prepared for the Messiah and uh, his his role in the movement that leads towards Jesus coming, Jesus' acceptance, and uh, even after Jesus' death and resurrection, preparing those for the spiritual kingdom. So I'm really thankful for the, the time we've had so far in this study, but we're going to transition into this third part, and that was John's perspective on his role in God's plan. And so I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on this and, and the scriptures you use to make this point. Okay. So, you know, what's equally as impressive is, is someone's background, their origin, uh, their family upbringing and what they actually did in their life. What's equally is, uh, what's equally as impressive is how they viewed themselves, how they carried themselves. Were they humble or were they haughty? Just things like that. And I want us to spend a little bit of time because we've established John the Baptist, he's an important person. He's a big deal in the words of Colin Smith. So I want to figure out, we need to figure out how did this guy view himself in God's plan? And the first place I want to do is just go to John chapter one. If you'd please read Jonathan 19 through 23. Verse 19 says, now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to those who've sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am, quote, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, quote, as the prophet Isaiah said. Okay, so 
we're seeing we're, we're getting to some good stuff, even more good stuff. So John the Baptist, he's approached by some men. And these are men sent by the Pharisees. And this just gives us a scope of how influential John the Baptist was. Because these Pharisees, these top dogs in the religious world, they, they're basically saying, who does this guy think he is? Who, who, this guy's on our turf. Who does he think he is? He thinks he's a big deal. Go find out who he is. So these guys, they go and they talk to John the Baptist and they ask him a series of questions. They first ask him, are you the Christ? He says, no. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. And then they finally ask him, well, then who are you? And John the Baptist quotes that very passage we talked about at the beginning, Isaiah chapter 40 and verses three through five. So we know Mm -hmm. for a fact that John the Baptist is the pavior sent from God. He is the one who paved the way because he who was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, who was inspired, he connects this. Right. And it's interesting, just before we move on, that he's asked these series of questions. This guy was an expert in the old law. He was taught the word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. They ask him all these questions and he says no. He could have said, oh yeah, you know, I'm from the Old Testament. These are the signs and this is what I'm doing. This is the proof. But he instead he doesn't. He doesn't say, yeah, I'm the Messiah because he did not lose sight of who he truly was in God's plan. I have a question. Why does he deny it? I, I, I guess I know the answer to that question. He denies it because it, it's a matter of humility. Um, but then Jesus will will call him that. You know, Jesus will call him the Elijah that is to come. Why would John deny it and then Jesus approve it? Okay, so this is a very good question. First off, precursor to your question, I guess, is it's important why the Jews asked if he was those three individuals. In fact, the Christ and the prophet the Messiah and, and Elijah, the Jews had this misconception that the one who was going to come and save Israel, it was actually divided into three people or a couple of different roles. There was going to be the Christ. There was going to be uh, the prophet who was the greater Moses, like Moses, but greater, and Elijah. Right. Jesus is the Christ and the prophet, the greater prophet. But when they ask him, are you Elijah? This kind of gives us a sneak peek in the false beliefs of the Jews. The the Jews believed that there was something like reincarnation, that Elijah was going to physically come back during the time of the Messiah, when the Messiah would come. And John, basically, when he says here, no, I'm not Elijah, he's, he's literally saying, no, I'm John. I'm not Elijah. But Jesus, in a different passage, he says that John the Baptist is Elijah. So how do we reconcile this? Well, here he's saying, no, I'm not physically Elijah who came back. But Jesus is saying that John came in the spirit of Elijah. He had a similar spirit of preparation. I've heard Jimmy talk about how Elijah and Elisha, or maybe it was Alan, Elijah and Elisha, their flow kind of parallels, or Jesus and John, they parallel each other in that John came in the spirit of Elijah, and Jesus is like the Elisha, so to speak. Yes, yes, because Elisha, um, whenever he asked, or when Elijah 
um, said, you, you need to get out of here because I'm about to be taken up to heaven. And Elisha said, no, I need to come and see this. And then he says, ask me of something. And Elisha asked for, Elisha asked for a double spirit or a double mm-hmm. portion of a spirit. And so he, he becomes the greater prophet. Yeah, you're right. There's a, there's definitely a, a Christ connection, a John the Baptist and Christ connection. Um, additionally, you know, it makes me think of, I know this is maybe just a hair off topic, but the transfiguration, it's, mm-hmm. it is highly symbolic that Moses and Elijah are the ones there with Jesus and not other figures, because to your point that the Jews saw the prophet of Moses or the greater, the greater prophet than Moses, the Elijah prophet, um, and then the Messiah, they, they had this misconception, but Jesus is really trying to show them that he is the Christ. And here's the true Moses and Elijah that met him on the mountaintop. I can't help but just throw this in there too, because I studied this just this week with some young guys. We're going through the life of Christ. One of the, one of the cool connections you can say in Matthew 17 with the transfiguration is Moses and Elijah are the only two people in the old Testament who suffered in, in this same way that Jesus did and that they both fasted 40 days. Mm-hmm. which Jesus mm-hmm. did in the wilderness. So it's it's no coincidence that the guys who suffered very similarly are with Jesus on the mountain. And I oh, believe yeah. in Luke's, Luke's account, it says they were speaking of his decease. It's kind of like they were giving Jesus a pep talk before <laughs> he was about to die on the cross. Reflecting on how John was a humble man and that he could have declared himself, he could have truthfully declared that he was the Elijah to come. Mm-hmm. But like you've brought out, that would have been a misconception in the eyes of the Jews, even though he would have been saying it truthfully. And so he rather takes the humble route of saying, no, 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 I'm just John. I'm the one who's making the path straight. And you ask a very powerful application question, which is, how do you view yourself in God's plan? So I'm, I want to give you that soapbox if you want to hop up on it for a moment and and talk to our listeners about the way we should view ourselves. So John the Baptist, he, he made it clear he was not anything special. He was just the one crying in the wilderness, telling people about the Messiah and preparing the way. And the sad thing is what John does here is unlike what a lot of preachers in the quote unquote religious world do today, because a lot of preachers they forget that they're just the humble messenger and they think they're the, they're the Messiah. And just to ask ourselves, well, how do we view ourselves? Am I the center of my life? Am I the Messiah of my life? Does everything revolve around me? Or are we just the humble messenger and is everything about Christ? It's how do we prioritize our lives? But continuing right. with this humility we typically view ourselves as the protagonist of our, our own life story. Mm-hmm. And the more that we can get out of the way and allow Jesus to be the, to truly reign on the throne of our heart, then, then we, we do utter the same words that John does. And I, I think you may mention it late in your study, but he must increase, I must decrease. That's uh-huh. what I'm thinking about. So right before we get to that passage, John, he's going to show his humility even more in John 1, 26 and 27. John says in verse 26, John answered them saying, 
I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. When John's speaking of Jesus, he says, I'm not even worthy to to tighten or loosen his sandal strap. And that was, that's a true sign of humility because that was the lowest, the lowliest of roles and jobs that a slave would do. He says that what the lowest of all slaves is made to do, I am below that. I don't even deserve to touch him, to come near him or anything like that. And just another application point is, well, how do we view ourselves in relationship to Jesus? Do we view, you know, going to church and and praying and reading the Bible like it's just something common that we could just, it's it, it just common, like we're side by side with him, we're equal. But in fact, right. he's above us in so many, in so many ways. It, it's just amazing. He even allows us to be his friends. Mm-hmm. So we ask ourselves, do we view ourselves side by side and equal or do you? And do we truly look up at him and submit our lives to him? But last point with John's perspective is a verse that, um, Jonathan, you talked about a second ago. It's John 3 and verse 30. And it's a short verse, but would you please read that verse? Sure. John 3.30. He, he must increase, I must decrease. Okay. This in order to give us the full picture of this verse, kind of get to give some background. John the Baptist, it, it comes during a time where John's disciples, they notice Jesus and they say, teacher, rabbi, this guy's on our turf. He's stealing our business. Like, what's this all about? <laughs> John says, yeah, I know, but he must increase and I must decrease. What was so special about John is he recognized his whole life was paving the way for the Messiah but he recognized it was time for him to hop off the road to get out of the way because the king was here and it was time for the king to be magnified. And so he had to decrease. He had to be less and less so that Jesus's ministry would take off. Have you done any study on Luke chapter seven when John sends some disciples to say, are you the one that we've been waiting for or should we expect another? So I, I have, I've had conversations about it, just talking with um, Jimmy and, and Alan, but I've never put in a study. But I know that when John asks that question, he's in prison, it, it kind of looks like he's got some doubts, you know, but he's got some doubts about Jesus being the Messiah. He asks, you know, is this really, are you really the one? But I think right. that adds to the timing where maybe this wasn't going how John thought it was going to go. Right. And and I think the true message is that he he's kind of saying, he's kind of thinking, what are you waiting for? Why aren't you, why aren't you, why haven't you saved us all yet? It's kind of like when Mary says, there's no more wine. And Jesus says, it's not my hour yet. She's, <laughs> she's basically saying, like, what are you doing? You know, it's been 30 years. I know who you are. You haven't done this yet. And Jesus says, look, it's not the right time. So I think it's a timing factor that's more at question in anything. But what do you think about that? It, well, it certainly helps me see that only Jesus is the Messiah, that only Jesus was perfect, and that every other 
person in the Bible was human, and they had strengths, but they also had weaknesses. And it is their weaknesses that makes me feel like I can do this too, Mm -hmm. because sometimes all I can see are my weaknesses, and I can't see my strengths. And I look at these people, and imagine if Abraham, Moses, David, John the Baptist, uh, you know, Mary and Martha. Imagine if these people, if we only knew their good qualities, mm-hmm. that would make you feel that much more like you couldn't live up to faith in Christ because you'd think, wow, these people, they're such Bible heroes and they, they do such amazing things and then I can't get anything right. But the fact that you see the their flaws, I think helps it helps me have comfort that I, as a flawed man, can overcome. I don't know. Maybe that's it sounds odd. But the idea for me is that John the Baptist, I mean, I could never do what he did. I couldn't live in the desert and eat locusts and honey. Although I do have honeybees. I mean, like, I'm yeah. halfway there. But, uh, I, I mean, I think he is so much more committed than I am. And, and But then I see him in jail after he did all of those things and having, I don't know if it's a crisis of faith. I wouldn't call it that. But like you, I think you do have somebody who's discouraged mm-hmm. and he's discouraged and maybe it hasn't gone the way he thought. And I wanted to share a couple of scriptures. Um, we, I mentioned Luke 7, but in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is rejected at Nazareth, he opens up the scroll and he reads from Isaiah 61 and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And then I want you to listen to this, Isaac, about the things that Isaiah says that the Spirit of the Lord does for through the Messiah. Proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So there's a checklist of things that he does, mm-hmm. including liberty to the captive. But over in Luke chapter 7, whenever he receives that message from uh, John's messengers, he then says, uh, let's see, in verse 20, the men who came to him said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And in that very hour, he did the following. He healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. And this is that same quote from Luke 4, but it's missing one. You'll notice the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, leopards are cleansed, lepers, not leopards, Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. But it's missing the the captives are set free, or there's liberty to the captives. It's an interesting omission. Mm-hmm. And I guess in my study, I see that, verse 23, it says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He cur- curiously leaves it out because, sp- you know, his is a spiritual kingdom. And he didn't come to free physically, but he did come to free spiritually. And so John is physically in prison and discouraged, and Jesus is saying, hey, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And I like to think of it in my very simple translation of saying, John, wait. 
you don't mm. know what the Lord has in store. And I don't know if that necessarily gave him comfort in the moment, because John does end up getting executed. But Jesus knew that there was something in store for John way beyond what John was seeking for his comfort. And, uh, you know, John's ministry succeeded. And once his ministry was done and he's arrested, he may be down and depressed, but ultimately he gets the eternal reward. And and so Jesus is just telling him to wait. That's beautiful. I got, I got the chills just listening to that because that makes perfect sense. I usually say that connects the dots like that. Dots were connecting that. I've never heard that before. I know exactly what you're talking about when you're when you're saying, you know, as us, we're we're imperfect, but when these heroes of faith, when we see their their times of of hardship or it appears weakness, it makes them more personable. But I know what you mean where these guys are encouraging because it shows they had they had flaws too. But right. I, what I want us to talk about is, for just a little bit, is, you know, the whole COVID situation the past year, it's it's shifted a lot of our work here to where I have a lot more Zoom studies with people, you know, in the area, in the congregation, even people across the country, uh-huh. uh, young people. And I know you, you, I know for sure you've heard this. You, you study a passage with someone and it's, it's talking about Christian character or, or whatnot. And, and someone says this, Jonathan, that's just not me. You know, me go out and, you know, share the gospel. I'm not, I'm just not talkative, you know, or I'm just I, be quiet and gentle. I'm not, that's just not me. I can't, I can't do that. Right. And I've had that conversation so many times. I'm not the wisest guy or anything like that. But in those situations, you realize, okay, well, what I want to say here, you can't say, and you can't say it the way you're thinking about it. It's just not the time because this person's confiding in you. Right. But when someone talks like that, it's honestly, it's frustrating, but it's only frustrating because it's actually sad. Because when yeah. we say things like that, we're missing the whole entire point of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because this concept of him increasing and we decreasing, it's not just for John's day, but it's for our day. Because in our life, each and every day should be where we take a step in the right direction, where we are less like ourselves and more like Christ. And we don't get to be ourselves until being ourselves means we're being like Jesus. Amen, amen. I'm gonna I'm gonna poach one of your Bible verses mm-hmm. um, in the study. It's Galatians two twenty. It was a, one of my memory verses a couple of years ago. I tried to quote it in prayer daily. That's what I like to do with my memory verses is uh, use them in prayer. And I would ask God, um, you know, please help me remember that that I've been crucified with Christ and, and that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, this this whole mindset of he must increase, I must decrease, you're totally on point that this is not a superhero Christian attribute like John the Baptist and only John and the apostles and 
men like them could could do that. But this is a command where all Christians are called to empty themselves and be filled with Christ. We're the we're the vessel, mm-hmm. you know, and the treasure is supposed to be put inside us. We are not the treasure. And that's the whole point. We're imperfect men trying to show God trying to show everybody God's perfect plan. So God gets the glory. That's the point. Uh, Paul, he prays for the thorn in the flesh going away, but God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this whole concept of we feel we're inadequate and we can't do it. Well, that's what makes it even more special. And it glorifies God even more when imperfect beings try and be like his perfect son. Right. Because it shows the world we can change. And just to really wrap up that last, or this thought is, Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I just want us to think about this in our own lives. Who do we reflect? Do I reflect Isaac Moreno or do I reflect Jesus? Who do people see when they think of me, when they hear me? everything in that regard, because we don't want to be ourselves. That's why we became Christians. We want to be more like Christ. Right. Right. That's great. Now, we're we're in this third point, if I can maybe bring us back to John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about John as a person. We've talked about his preparation for Jesus, and then we've talked about his perspective, and that, that's kind of where we've been meditating on for a while, is, is how John viewed himself in the ministry of Christ. But you also, you, you kind of wrap your study up with uh, kind of taking the lens away from the hand of John. It's still on John. The lens is on him. But now we're giving it to Jesus, and we're, we're reflecting on how did Jesus view John? What was Jesus' perspective on John? So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on with the scriptures you have and, and the points that you're going to make with it. Right. So we've covered John's perspective of himself, of himself, but now we want to see how Jesus viewed John. So we'll only look at two verses. This is kind of like the, trying to think of the word, the plot twist in the sermon or in the study, so to speak, but we'll go to Matthew 11 and verse 11. And I'll read this one. Okay. It says there, assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What Jesus says here, it, it's profound. We have to just pause and meditate on this for a little bit. He says, sure. Jesus says that John is greater than any man who's ever been born from woman. John the Baptist is the greatest man ever, ever born. But my feeble mind, it goes to people like Alexander the Great, Socrates, Plato, Gandhi, George right. Washington. So how is right. John the Baptist greater than these men who did great things in the world? It's a good question. And that's because John had the single most important life work that any mortal man could ever have to prepare the way for the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. how he's the greatest man. But we lose a huge detail if we stop there, because Luke records something very similar, but different. Yeah, whenever I when I read through that those, it took me two or three readings because I saw in your notes that there was a difference, and so I was like, I read and I read and I reread, and it wasn't until the third time that it kind of clicked for me. So, uh, for those 
who maybe are listening, you're about to read a verse that sounds almost identical to what you read in Matthew 11, but I, I just mm-hmm. wanted to uh, give them opportunity to turn on their listening ears and see if they can hear a difference. All righty, perfect. So I'll go ahead and read this in verse 28 of Luke chapter 7. It says, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So Jesus said in Matthew that there was not a greater person, there was not a greater man. But in Luke, it records a a subtle difference. Luke emphasizes there was not a greater prophet Uh than John the Baptist. So we got to pause, call a timeout for a second, because how is this possible? We're thinking about prophets like Daniel in the lion's den, Ezekiel in the chariots. We're thinking of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, Isaiah, Uh the messianic prophet. How is John the Baptist greater than all of those prophets from the Old Testament? Mm. And the reason, the way John is greater, it's not because of his miracles. He had greater miracles because John the Baptist didn't do any miracles. Right, right. It wasn't because he was a greater moral teacher because they both had the same, all of them had the same moral compass, obey God. Uh-huh. But where John the Baptist is greater is in his privilege because he had the message that all the prophets in the Old Testament wished they could have had, that they wanted. He got to literally look out in the crowd and say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He got to look and to live at the same time as the Messiah and point people in his direction. Instead of saying that the kingdom was so far away in the future like Daniel did in Daniel 2, John's able to say in John 1, or excuse me, Matthew 3, 1 and 2, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he had the greater privilege and he had a greater message than all of the prophets because Jesus was here. Yeah. I want to I want to share uh let's see. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. I've always kind of seen this as the Old Testament prophets, but John John's going to have to be in there with them mm-hmm. because technically he is a, he is an Old Testament prophet even though we read about him in the gospels. But it says in 1 Peter 1:10 concerning the salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not, they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have been now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look into. And, uh, you know, the prophets, they saw, it as, as Hebrews would say, a shadow of the things to come. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that totally makes sense what you've said, that, that John has the privilege of being the only prophet that would herald the coming of Christ and, 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 and be able to see him and to get to baptize him. But what's interesting is he still didn't know everything because of what we previously mentioned, you know, being in mm-hmm. jail and wondering are you the one to come or should we expect another? He still had only a shadow compared to what those have in Christ who have the full knowledge revealed in the, in the scriptures. So, uh, wow, what privilege he had, but then he also had the limitations of a prophet. 
Right, and just when we think, man, John the Baptist is some special person, Jesus in both those verses, he connects it back to us. Because I kind of have this, you guys can't see it, but if you guys would picture like a greater than or less than equation that you'd get at school. So if we look at the very right, you would see uh, those born of women. There's everyone, all men everywhere, ever born. There's those. John is greater than them. Uh But those who are greater than John are those that are the least in the kingdom of God, which he's talking about us. Right. We need to we need to slow that one down. But I remember sitting at the breakfast table with my kids. It may have been like two days ago. And I asked them that question. I said, how does the Bible make sense when it says that no one is greater? No, no one born of woman is greater than John the Baptist, but the least who are in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. And the kids were like, oh, you know, there was just this blank uh, because it doesn't make sense grammatically, mm-hmm. uh, maybe to an outsider. So obviously Jesus has a, a deeper meaning. Can you help us understand it? I was just studying this yesterday, getting ready. Keep saying this. I'm doing studies in the life of Christ, but I think there's a subtle hint here that Jesus is comparing those who were physically born and he's contrasting those who are spiritually reborn. You must be born again of water in the spirit of John three, three through Uh five. So Uh he's talking about those who are Christians, those who are baptized believers, those who have obeyed the gospel. These are the ones who are greater than John the Baptist and those born of women. And the only way my mind can really connect this is that we're in the very thing that John and all the other prophets were pointing towards. We're in the mm-hmm. very institution mm-hmm. where we listen to the Messiah. We listen to his words in the Bible. We have been added to the church, his spiritual kingdom that John prepared. And the way that we are greater than John is because we're all supposed to be like John. And I mean that in two ways. We're all supposed to be like John the Baptist because we're supposed to be living lives dedicated to God and service our whole life from here on out. Once we obey the gospel, another point is that we preach a greater message than John. Mm -hmm. John Mm -hmm. said, the Messiah is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We preach Jesus came, he saw, and he conquered. He died, he was buried, and he was resurrected, and that the kingdom of heaven is here. It's established. But not only do we preach a greater message than John, we also have a very important mission to prepare the world for Christ's second coming. So that's yes. how I believe that that's how I kind of rationalize in my mind. We're greater than John and all of those other people. But what, do you, what do you think about that? Oh, well, I think you've done an excellent job of, of explaining it. Um, think about every time that in, in, the God, er, in the epistles that it says in Christ, and it talks about all of the blessings that we have in Christ. And certainly people who were part of God's covenant in, in the old old law had had tremendous blessings. David would write in the Psalms about how much he loved the law. You know, the love of, the, uh, he said the law is perfect and that it's sweeter than the honeycomb. And if, if they could have that much 
love and trust and, and uh, appreciation for the old law, surely we could recognize the superior law that we have in Christ and how much more we have. And I guess for me, in addition to what you've said, I think about the way that John could petition the Father and uh, who he would have to be a mediator for him. And so even though John would be a prophet, um, he likely, I mean, the, the scriptures don't say this, but if he's going to obey the law, I imagine John has to go to the temple from mm-hmm. time to time and it has to sacrifice from time to time so that he can have his sins uh, missed because Jesus hasn't died yet. And so even though he's brought in this this baptism for the remission of sins, he still is going to be a follower of God's law. And what superior blessings we have in Christ that when we sin, we get to go to God in prayer in that moment. And I don't have to make a trip somewhere so that some special person can make a sacrifice and, and petition God for me or intercede for me, right? My mediator is Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. And, uh, you know, a, a sin that is done willfully and in rebellion, I think you have issues to work through mm-hmm. that, that before you could say that is forgiven. But a sin that, that I do... And then I realize, oh, no, I have messed up. One where I'm willing to change and willing to repent. The ease and convenience for me to pause and in prayer to approach God's throne and humbly ask for forgiveness, man, that's that's incredible. And so I think that's part of the greatness of being in Christ is that, that we have access to, to his blood that rolls backward and forward and and we don't have to do what they did in the old law. So what what do you think about that? It just the one word I could use to describe all it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful how the Bible worked in that and I don't want to get too this might sound like it's so out of left field, but it really <laughs> okay. reminds me of of this situation and with Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, before Eve was even formed, what did God do? He saw that it was not good for man to be alone. He did not immediately make Eve right there. He Uh had Adam name all the animals because God saw that Adam needed a helper, but he wanted Adam to realize he needed a helper. That's why he waited. Uh So the same thing with Jesus, God did not send Jesus immediately because he wanted man to appreciate it when he did. Right. So that's why right. all of those years of Old Testament sacrifices, like you talked about, these, this different system to set us up, to prepare us, to make us appreciate so much more. It's just beautiful. It's just, that's all I can really say about it, honestly. Yeah. Well, there's a, it's probably fresh on my mind because I'm going through these studies right now in Colossians. But there's these in him statements in Colossians mm-hmm. and Ephesians as well. And uh, it just talks about the tremendous amount of blessings we have in Christ. And in the first century, they were dealing with some, uh, maybe if people are familiar with the, the phrase, Gnostic teachers, these knowers, 
Mm -hmm. right? The people who had, in their opinion, higher knowledge. And they were trying to lead people away from the simplicity and the purity of Christ's teachings. And so Paul, again and again, instead of like proving those people wrong, his greatest weapon was to prove what you had in Christ. Mm. And the blessings in Christ, when you just read it, it's overwhelming. And it's uh, it's overflowing. It's It's beyond really anything you could ever ask or imagine. And so, yeah, there, there's, we could probably go on all day about mm. how being the least being, I would rather be the least in his kingdom than the greatest in this world, because to be the least in his kingdom still gives you access to everything in Christ. And it's just, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it, about how much he loves me. So Isaac, I'm curious if uh, we're kind of at the end of your study. I'd like mm -hmm. to give you maybe that, that final platform to wrap up and uh, summarize or bring up the conclusion that's going to kind of make all this come together. Right. So naturally, when I was, this is basically a sermon we just went through, a study, like a study format. But when I was getting towards the end of this sermon, writing it, I was like, I'm missing the point because I felt like we did a great job of going through talking about John the Baptist. But when I was writing it, I was like, we didn't, I was just thinking, I didn't do a good enough job of talking about Christ because what we've covered up to this point, we've talked about everything John did for the King, but what's so much greater than everything we just talked about is what our king died or what our king did for us in that he died for us. Right. And it says this in John 15:13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So unlike all the worldly kings in times past who would have their soldiers die for them and to fight the enemy army and to kill as much as them as possible, Christ came and died for the people. He not only came and died for those who were, who were so to, so to speak on his team already, the Jews in the old Testament, he came to die for the enemy army for everyone who is a sinner and that opposed him. It says in Romans five, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So just kind of, Stealing what Paul says in Romans 6, I speak, I speak in fleshly terms. I just want to use this analogy. We were literally on the other team. We were on the other army. Imagine if the other, if the king we were fighting against died for us. Wow. And it, it, it's just, it just mind boggles me how that's even possible. So I say that just to emphasize everything we talked about that John the Baptist did. It's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. But what's greater than all of that is what our king did for us, that he died for us. But in turn, ending this by thinking about ourselves and how do we take all this information, because this was a lot of information. We want to ask, what will you, what will I, what will we do for the king? Are we going to be righteous parents that teach our children the word of God? Are we going to prepare the world for Christ's second coming? Are we going to have the proper perspective of ourselves in God's plan? 
Well, brother, um, thank you for joining me today. And uh, I had a blast recording this. Thank you, brother. I'll be praying for you and your work and just everything. Thankful for this opportunity, really. I want to say thank you again to Brother Isaac Moreno for joining us in the studio. And I hope that you were able to listen to both episodes, because if you did, you were tremendously blessed from the Word and encouraged about being in the kingdom. And even though none of us probably can imagine what it'd be like to take on John's ministry, we can find encouragement from the scriptures where it talks about how those who are in the kingdom are greater than John the Baptist, not because we deserve it, but because we have full blessings that come in Christ. Thank you, Isaac, again for that study, and I look forward to working with you and seeing you in the future as well. God bless you and your studies and desires to be an evangelist. So keep it up, and I know you're going to do well, especially working out there with Jimmy Cady. Okay, everybody else, I want to challenge you again. I've been making this kind of a priority in each of my mini-series to at least one time mention leaving a five-star review. So if you have subscribed to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or SoundCloud or Google Music, would you please leave a five-star review and, and maybe a, a word or two about uh, what you enjoy about it? It's really helpful, not just for my own edification, although it is nice to read the reviews. It's helpful because of analytics. It pushes the podcast higher when people search Bible podcast or Christian podcast, things like that. Uh, the analytics are going to push PSB higher if it has more high reviews. So I need your help. I can only review my stuff so many times. In fact, just one time each. So I need as many people as possible to leave a good review. Thank you very much in advance. Please, finally, go to the website. Check out all of the Pure and Simple Bible resources that are there for you to use and download absolutely free. And until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, his room's in some trouble.